0: This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. So the manufacturing sector has had an interesting run in the last year or so. There has been the start of great investment from some of the uh, government programs initiated by the Biden administration. But there's also been a bit of a run downward right now in terms of how manufacturing is doing with an up and down economy. But what is the path for 2024? Deloitte has its annual manufacturing outlook out. John Kuykendall is national sector leader for industrial products and construction for Deloitte. And he joins us to break down what they have uh, found out. John, pleasure to have you with us. Thanks for your time today.
1: Thanks, Dan. Pleasure to be here.
0: So before we dig into next year, I think it's also important to kind of get a sense of, of where we think manufacturing is right now. What's your read at the moment?
1: Well, it's a great question, Dan, and as, uh, as you can imagine, we spend a lot of time looking at that, talking to our clients, talking to executives in the industry, and I think you, you hit it well in your, in your opening. Uh, there's, I, I think, a lot of positive momentum in manufacturing, uh, notwithstanding some continued headwinds. I would say as I look ahead uh, at the balance of this year and ahead to next year, I'm incredibly excited about the potential that 2024 holds for our manufacturing industry. I think we have a a a once-in-a-lifetime record level of investments, both public-private sector investments in the industry. Again, not without challenges, but I I believe we're seeing moderation in some of the, the challenges that we've all been talking about here for the last couple of years, such as talent, inflation, and supply chain. So I'm incredibly optimistic about what the future holds for our manufacturing companies.
0: All right. So break it down for us. What is it that you're expecting to see play out next year?
1: Let me start with a few facts that I think lay lay the foundation for the optimism I just shared. So if you look at 2023, and again, you were asking kind of what we're seeing right now, we saw 20 times The amount of investment in semiconductor and clean tech manufacturing is what we saw back in 2019. And that's a direct result of the three major acts that the Biden administration passed, the IIJA, CHIPS, and IRA, and a record amount of private investment that has followed those. What we've seen along with that, 200 new clean tech manufacturing facilities representing over $88 billion in investment, 75,000 new jobs expected from that. Construction spending alone up 70% in July of this year over a year ago. And and the list goes on. So a lot lot of facts, I think, sort of back up the excitement and the optimism that I'm feeling and I'm sensing when I talk to our manufacturing clients.
0: What's the expectation then that how much of this growth then will play out this year? Because I think the belief is that with a lot of that investment – uh, you're going to be talking about this playing out over the next decade or so, correct?
1: I think you're exactly right. And as I, as I think about it, we, we may be in what we'll look back on and call the, the decade of manufacturing. Right? Back to the level of investment that that I just talked about, we, we haven't seen anything like that, at least in, in my lifetime. And I think the impact it's going to have, we're just starting to see it. And it's going to play out over you know, the balance of this year, next year, and and the coming years. But again, that's that's what make you know gives me gives me the optimism that it's a good time to be in the manufacturing business.
0: Where do you think the, the, the labor side of things fits in and how much are are manufacturing companies dealing with some of the issues that other companies are dealing with about making sure that that they keep the, the the valuable employees that they need to have.
1: It's a great question, and and for sure, labor has been one of the top three challenges I hear cited, and you know every earnings call, every conversation with uh, with executives in the industry, and it's it's been with us really since COVID, uh, which is we all know kind of reset the the way we we all work and operate. To your question, seventy five percent of the Executives we surveyed, in, in, a, in a, as part of this study, put attracting and retaining talent as the primary business challenge. So num- number one thing they're worried about. And to the second part of your question, when you look at the manufacturing workforce, nearly a third of people working in the industry are over fifty-five, and that means they could potentially retire, you know, in in, in pretty short time period. And so, what manufacturers are focused on is, number one, how do you retain those people? Number two, how do you attract new people into the workforce? And some of the things that we're seeing companies look to do is apply digital tools and technologies to things such as training new workers and helping them more rapidly come up to speed you know, automation and digitization are also a way to remove some of the more menial tasks that sometimes drive people out of the workforce. I think your prior speaker was talking about that as well. If you can automate the tasks that people don't necessarily enjoy doing, but still spend time on, let them focus on higher value, more interesting tasks. Those are kind of things that help engage people and cause them to to want to stay longer.
0: Well, and I guess to a degree that 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 time frame it takes to get somebody up to speed uh, probably needs to be increased or improved as we move forward as well. And I'm wondering how much technology may play a role in that as well?
1: Well exactly and I think technology uh, artificial intelligence, generative AI sort of the latest addition to the uh, the digital toolbox, if you will, really offers some unique and uh, exciting ways to help new employees get up the learning curve much more quickly. You know, it used to be you'd you'd do sort of some book training and then maybe you'd start to get some hands-on training with with a lot of oversight to make sure you don't make mistakes. But now you you can have a new worker essentially simulate an entire uh, production process or repair process and do that all in a virtual world so they get to actually practice uh, in what feels like the real situation, but without the downside of well, what happens if you make a mistake? And so right. I think that is a is a critical enabler to getting people into the workforce and and sort of up the learning curve much more quickly than we used to see in the past.
0: Part of what you also talk about in this report involves supply chain, and we obviously. <laughs> We've talked a lot about it in the last couple of years, uh, obviously some of the issues that were there um, and were impacted by the pandemic. Uh, the question of how do you improve supply chains and make them more resilient in the future, how much is that still being asked and, and is a focus of a lot of this development moving forward?
1: It is absolutely a question still being asked, and, and it's increasingly topic where we're seeing companies put enormous amount of focus and investment. Uh, Part of our recent study, over three quarters of manufacturers we talked to are adopting digital tools to really drive enhanced transparency down into the supply chain. As as you alluded to, over the last couple years, uh, we've heard a lot from companies about supply chain challenges. As a matter of fact, I would say Virtually every earnings call I listen to, companies are talking about missing the top line or the bottom line or both because of supply chain. Don't have the parts, uh, delayed getting delivery. I think the good news is we are starting to see improvement. Average delivery lead times peaked at an all-time high of 100 days back in July of 22. And now they've come down to about 87 in uh, August of this year. So it's still – Still much higher than the pre-pandemic, but but absolutely moving in the right direction, and part of what has gone on along with this is is that level of investment into uh, it's both visibility and resiliency down in the supply chain. All right. so step one is you got to be able to see below your your next tier supplier actually further down and really identify proactively where there may be problems, and then part two is how do you build res- resiliency into that supply chain so that when there is a problem it doesn't just totally shut down your operation and again we're seeing a lot of time attention investment for manufacturing companies going into building those capabilities
0: you also talk about uh, the the incentives that are out there from the federal government uh to incorporate elements of electrification and decarbonization as well how will those two play in
1: it's a great question, and I, I actually think of, of the five trends that we talk about in the report. Maybe the most exciting, and with the most far-reaching implications for our manufacturers. So the IRA provided more than 270 billion in climate and energy-related incentives. You know, think of manufacturing of, of electric vehicles and other electrified equipment, uh, batteries, energy storage. Uh, the 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 what we're seeing with companies is a fundamental, an opportunity to make a fundamental shift in the role they play in the value chain. We have companies moving from uh, maybe making a being a component manufacturer to building entire end-item electrical systems. And so I, I think I think over the coming years, the the whole push to uh, electrification, decarbonization, all in support of the energy transition, is is going to open up all kinds of opportunities for manufacturers. And the reality is you are not going to accomplish decarbonizing the world without manufacturing at the center of the table.
0: Right. And, and the expectation, though, is that it still, it still is an important component uh, as you move forward. I guess the challenge is uh, the varying levels of focus on it, depending on the country that you're in.
1: That's certainly true. Uh, I think what we're seeing here in the U.S., uh, as we've talked about earlier, is, is heavy level of incentives. Uh, in other parts of the world, in some cases, the, the focus is more on, you know, regulations. as thou thou shall or you must to participate uh, in part of the manufacturing industry, invest in it. I think regardless of which way you come at it, that I mean, it's clear the direction we're headed. The pace may vary by region, but I think for manufacturing companies, the the, the ones that are going to be leading in the future, are the ones that are going to, you know, take point in how to how to electrify and drive their their products to be more sustainable at the same time is how do they make their own internal operations? So the manufacturing facilities and plants, how do they make those uh, less you know less make, having less contribution to uh, to carbon emissions. So both of those, I think, are tremendous opportunities for our manufacturing companies.
0: You also talk about the element of aftermarket services uh, playing a role and something that could be uh, the difference maker for a lot of companies.
1: I think so. It's, you know, aftermarket, to me, is an interesting topic. I would say some manufacturers if you think about aerospace and defense companies, their whole business has been built around aftermarket for, for decades. You, you have products that literally last 50-plus years. There has to be a way that you service and sustain those, and that's a core part of the business model. While I think other manufacturers have been quite content to manufacture the product, sell it, and, and really let somebody else manage the service. Uh, I think COVID shook up some of this, um, the way things worked with the difficulty of getting service providers out to look at assets in the field, right? People weren't weren't traveling, didn't want to go out and see things. And what that has opened up is, is new opportunities to leverage uh, cloud computing, data analytics, 5G, to get information off an asset that's in the field, transmit it to somebody sitting remotely who can actually diagnose a product, troubleshoot, and in many cases provide repairs without ever actually physically having to come out. That again is opening up new sources of revenue, uh, for companies. It's also a way to get closer and stay closer to your customers, right? If you you don't just, instead of just selling the product and then, and then sort of moving on, but you stay connected into a long-term relationship of how do you keep that asset as productive as possible, upgraded where appropriate, that's just tremendous opportunities for a manufacturing company.
0: I would imagine that a lot of companies in the manufacturing sector, well, maybe I shouldn't say a lot, but obviously those that that have the element of union uh, in their labor force also have obviously kind of kept an eye on what we've seen play out this year. Uh, the auto uh, obviously uh, strikes uh, playing a, a big piece to that. Uh, and, and it probably has to be even more – kind of in their thinking uh, of that type of disruption as an impact as you move forward?
1: I, I'm, I'm sure it is. It's back to the talent topic that you know that we've, we talked about at the beginning. I think on the, on the talent front, one thing that's going, uh, I think in the favor of, of manufacturers is while there's still certainly some tightness in the labor market, uh, we've seen a, a 19% reduction in voluntary turnover, which says to me that people aren't just changing jobs as much as we saw maybe a year ago, where, where people just move every time there was a better opportunity. Uh, people are staying put longer. That is obviously beneficial to our manufacturing clients, uh, given what it takes to bring a new employee up to speed, as as, as we talked about a few minutes ago.
0: What's, what's the overall thought process then for 2024, do you think, when you kind of capsulize uh, everything kind of in this sector right now? As I said,
1: yeah, you know, for, from the beginning, I, I'm incredibly excited about the opportunity for manufacturers in, in 2024. I think they'll continue to tap into the record level of investments. Would I step back and, and, and just think about what manufacturing represents you can't produce the things that we count on to power our lives transport us around the world build the buildings that we live and work in and protect us without manufacturing and you can't you also can't solve complex problems like decarbonization as i mentioned earlier without manufacturing so i, I put that together and i think it's uh, i think the next year looks uh, i feel i'm more optimistic about 2024 than I, I was, if we were talking a year ago, looking at 2023. I think the, yeah. the thing we haven't talked much about um, yet is just this the proliferation and expansion of digital transformation, digital tools, uh, yeah. everything from artificial intelligence, generative AI, cloud computing, um 5G virtual reality i mean the list the list goes on but those those tools all have tremendous potential for manufacturing companies uh, at, at, to make their operations more efficient but also to make their employees more excited uh, about the work that they do and to remove some of the tasks that can that can be a drain on an employee and really let them focus on the higher value add things so i put all those together and, and, again, it's why I feel so great about where this industry is headed.
0: Off of that, I'll finish on this question then. Are we at a point right now, and, and I think the question is still out there, that the component of digital technology and AI, there's been a question about whether or not it was going to take jobs or it was going to enhance jobs. I think more and more people talk about the enhancement right now. Is that the mindset of both companies and and workers in the manufacturing sector right now?
1: I think so. I, I look. There's always a worry around new technologies that it just it's it's a way to to displace jobs or replace jobs. Uh, I think what uh, what these technologies have the potential to do, though, exactly what you said. It's it's how to enhance jobs. It's how to enable people instead of spending their time gathering data and trying to put it into a spreadsheet and build models, wouldn't you rather spend your time looking at the output of a model and thinking about, okay, what are the, what are the decisions that we need to make right now? Uh, There's so many better, you know, better things that people can do with their time. The other thing that's important uh, maybe doesn't get as much attention is a lot of these technologies have the potential to really improve product safety, product quality, and worker safety. Right? So, so that's an incredibly important and, and valuable opportunity If through better training, better quality, better sensing of, of equipment. We can make the workplace a safer place for our manufacturing employees. So that's incredibly powerful use of digital technologies as well.
0: Great to have you with us, John. Thanks very much for your time. All the best.
1: Thanks so much, Dan. Pleasure being with you here today.
0: You too, as well. John Koykendall, who is a national sector leader for industrial products and construction for Deloitte. To explore more content from the Wharton School, visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.